0: It's time to play like a Jet. With your host, Scott Mason. Play like a Jet. What does that mean? Here's Donald. carry it out. Deep ball. Separation. Caught. Robbie Anderson. Goodbye. Touchdown, Jets. The whole NFL is watching. Of fourth and ten. And here they come. Make
1: pass catch. It's intercepted by Mosley. Down be the to top. Bell breaks tackle. Bell trying to go over.
0: Touchdown, big return for Crowder. And he's going to go all the way. touchdown, 85 yards. Looking downfield, fires this one and intercepted at the 34. Jamal Adams goes down on the ground
1: and takes it away. He'll hit immediately. He yes. got the handoff. You know what? <laughs> the QAnator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you.
2: Welcome to Play Like a Jet. This is the Weekend Mailbag, part number one. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at Jet one And I am joined, as always, by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And, of course, above all of that... A very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, before we get into the mailbag questions, though, let's talk about the breaking news. Avery Williamson got hurt in the preseason game against the Atlanta Falcons on Thursday night. And unfortunately, this is not going to be a day-to-day or week-to-week injury. He tore his ACL. He's out for the year. And so Avery Williamson, who was going to be one of the two starting inside linebackers next to C.J. Mosley, is done for the season. He will not play a snap on the Jets in 2019 with C.J. Mosley at inside linebacker. Before we get to what the Jets may do now as far as how the rotation is going to work to replace Williamson, this is a big blow. I know a lot of people are trying to shrug this off. And I understand that Williamson is neither the biggest name, nor is he the flashiest player, but he was really good last year. He was going to be a strong fit with C.J. Mosley on this defense, and it's not to be. And for all we know now, Chris, this could be the last we see of Avery Williamson as a Jet, period, because they could very easily cut him at the end of the season. We've talked about this before, especially if somebody like Cashman steps up. Really sad to see And again, I go back to this and we'll see if what Sean McVay is doing now ends up working where he stopped playing his starters at all in the preseason, but it is really exasperating to see something like this happen in a game that means absolutely nothing.
1: Yeah, no, of course, this is going to, uh, ignite all the don't play anyone in the preseason. Uh, you know, it's going to ignite all that and it's understandable. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's going to take a lot for that to change. Even it's going, to, even if McVeigh has a bunch of success with that, teams are still going to be slow to it. Um, obviously, you know, fans are there, – there's obviously the fans that are brushing this off like it's no big deal. Like we talked about, that. that's false. Although I, I do think that they had decent depth at that position right now. So it's, it's not – you know, there's definitely positions where an injury could have hurt them a lot worse. But – the my first thing always goes to the players. I always got to feel for the players. They work so hard to get in shape, get ready for the season and training camp, get out there and play. And then to have an injury like that, especially a fluke injury like this, his own teammate diving into his knee to do it. Um, yeah, that's you got to feel for the player. They it, this is you know it's one of those tricky things. To go though again, uh, balance being prepared and being ready. For not getting injured, and it's just again, this is this is football. It's unavoidable. They're gonna happen. The thing that makes this hurt the most is just the fact that this game didn't count. That's the thing when it happens in the season or playoffs. At least you know the players out there trying, and the game that matters, the game that counts. This game doesn't count, and that's what makes it uh, you know harder to deal with than than anything else.
2: And the other thing that makes it especially unsettling is the fact that Avery Williamson was still in this game later on than the rest of the starters. He was playing with the second team. There's no reason he should have been in there. Nobody can figure out why he was in there. I'd love to hear an explanation from Greg Williams. I'm hoping that one will be forthcoming at some point, or at least somebody will address it. Maybe Adam Gase when you guys go back to cover training camp on Sunday, which obviously we will have full coverage of here on Play Like a Jet. But to me, this feels a lot like what happened in 2013 when Mark Sanchez was trotted out there long after he should have still been in the game, ended up sustaining an injury, then missed the season, and that was the end of his Jet career. Of course, Geno Smith was shoved into action sooner than he probably should have been as a result. And I understand that this is football and injuries happen. I get that, Chris. We've talked about that before, but... That doesn't mean that you should try to exacerbate the odds of an injury happening. You play the guy exactly as long as you need to, and then you pull him out. There was no reason that Avery Williamson still should have been in this game, and that's on the coaching staff.
1: It's hard to envision why he would be out there quite that long because that's the thing. These guys do need to play, but you want to minimize the amount of snaps they get, obviously minimize the uh, chances of them getting hurt because uh, as while they can get hurt on any play they can get hurt in warm-ups the more plays that they they go out there for the better the chances of them getting hurt um but again this is what's what's the uh, play them no more than they have to what's the limit on that who sets that that's up in the coach's decision and maybe it's just because Avery Williamson has missed a bunch of first team reps because they were moving in other guys whether it was blake cashman neville hewitt uh james burgess so maybe he was trying to make up for some of that and give him more reps in this game i don't know what what i do know now is we're gonna have to kind of switch into modes here into dialing back the the cashman uh hype and train right now because we've been talking about him getting all those first team reps and uh, training camp and talking about the possibility of him being groomed to possibly be ready to take over for A.V. Williamson next season. Uh, but if you're sitting there thinking that, oh, they're just going to slide Blake Cashman into that starting spot, I I would advise against that because yeah, I can't see that happening. I think you're going to see Neville Hewitt up there and then you're still going to see Cashman come in in coverage situations on passing downs. And uh, Burgess is another guy that's, It's had a strong camp so far, so I could see him being ahead, at least on the early downs, being ahead on the depth chart of Blake Cashman there as well.
2: I was going to say, I think the plan will probably be Burgess and Hewitt will battle it out to see who ends up playing most of the first and second down plays, and then you will see Cashman a lot on third down when you're talking about, say, third and six, third and seven, and it's an obvious passing down. He'll get mixed in, and as time goes on throughout the season, if Cashman proves he can handle things, maybe he'll be given an opportunity to step up and get more playing time. But as you said, Chris, it's a little unrealistic to me to expect Cashman to just step right in here and become the starter from day one. On downs 1, 2, and 3 Especially as a 5th round rookie I know that he's looked good in training camp But he hasn't quite looked that good, has he?
1: Yeah and I, and not, He hasn't looked so good that I'd be like Yep, he should be the starting right. uh, the line, Inside linebacker And they won't miss a beat And again, there's obviously far more Important players on this Jets roster Than, than Avery Williamson But he's a really good player uh, you know, he he's, he does he can struggle in coverage, but everything else about him and an inside linebacker is really good. So to to be able to sit here and even think that Blake Cashman could do eighty percent of a, of the other stuff of Avery Williams, that's that seems like a bit of a reach. So uh, you're still gonna see him get reps, and this is gonna make it more likely. But they're not going to start just throwing him out there. And like I said, they do have uh, some backups that they trust there with uh, Neville Hewitt and Burgess as well.
2: Joe Blewett is a big fan of Burgess. He thinks he could be something. So let's keep our fingers crossed that maybe he exceeds our expectations. And perhaps with Burgess, Hewitt, and Cashman together, they can all fill the role that we expected Avery Williamson to fill. I have to swat this out of the air here too, Chris, because... I've been looking on social media and seeing some people saying, ha, this is proof that the Jets should have kept Darren Lee. No, it isn't. Darren Lee isn't good. I don't know where this idea that Darren Lee was good came from. He was at best a streaky linebacker who showed some flashes, never enough consistency, was immature, was a distraction. I'm perfectly fine with the fact that Darren Lee is gone. I would have been fine if he had stayed. If Greg Williams felt that he was worth trying to turn around, Greg Williams clearly did not feel that way. Couldn't wait to get rid of him. Adam Gase, same thing. That's why they dealt him immediately after Gase was put in charge of the team on an interim basis. So for everybody yelling about Darren Lee, just stop it. There's no reason to be upset that he's gone, even with Avery Williamson out for the year.
1: Yeah, I hadn't seen that yet. I haven't looked on Twitter, but that's not surprising. Um, All I'll say is if Darren Lee was still here, he would be behind Neville Hewitt, uh, James Burgess, and probably Blake Cashman on the depth chart here. You got a new coaching staff and new GM here. Nobody with any loyalties or ties to him. Yeah, he's, he's not – he could be here as depth still, but he's not going to – he wouldn't just be sliding back into that starting spot and yeah like i said he was he just wasn't that good of a player here um i still think his best uh option going forward would be to be more of an off ball uh, coverage linebacker uh but yeah no he's it, it, him being gone doesn't matter at all it, it, it matters zero uh this hurts because they they lose Avery Williams and that number one makes him hurt uh having to have that good depth that they had behind them now go into the starting role makes them a little less deep, but Darren Lee doesn't fix that either. So that that trade to, to bring that point up is um, silly at best.
0: While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep.
2: Quick thing before we get into mailbag, Chris. We've been talking about something bad that happened to the Jets, but something very good that happened to them was being able to draft Quinton Williams number three overall in the NFL draft in 2019 in April. Well, guess what, Chris? He played 23 snaps yesterday, and you know who's a big believer now? Mr. Brian Baldinger. He posted a Baldy's breakdown, and if you aren't familiar with that, he goes on his Twitter, and he'll post a breakdown Of all the plays of a particular player, say what he likes, say what he doesn't like. Here's his review of Quentin Williams, and I urge you very strongly to go and watch this for yourself because the film is very impressive, and Baldinger is one of the best at breaking it down. He writes, Quentin Williams played 23 snaps, and his impact is being felt, and plays are being made by his presence. The inside push is very real. So go ahead and take a look at that right now on Brian Baldinger's Twitter. And with that, Chris, let's jump into the mailbag. First question from Sean Stalker. He says, Scott and the very big deal, Chris Nimbly. Bam Bam needs to upgrade the cornerback spot, no question, but also as a roster that really needs its future premium picks, how high of a pick would you be willing to give up to add a corner considering most options available by trade won't be long-term solutions? Which corner would you target? So I've talked a lot about Rasul Douglas. I think if they could get him, I would be willing to give up a fourth-round pick because I see him as a potential long-term starter. Beyond that, you heard me talk about Nate Hairston, who is a name that was given to me by George Bremer, who covers the calls for CNHI in Indianapolis. And I think that that's a possibility you could investigate. Again, 25 years old, has shown flashes, played fairly well for part of the season— With the Colts last year and then fell out of favor After a really bad game What would I be willing to give up for somebody like that Maybe a conditional 6th or 7th round pick Beyond that I probably wouldn't be looking to give up a lot I don't want to chase An older corner like Chris Harris Or Jimmy Smith Even if they were available Jimmy Smith's going to be a free agent at the end of the year If you really want to get a short term stopgap solution You could do that then I don't see the value in trading premium picks To get him now Forget Jalen Ramsey because that's a pipe dream. So I guess the best answer I can give is I would consider late round picks, conditional picks – If it's somebody like Hairston or someone along those lines, just somebody to plug the gap and maybe show a little bit of upside for you. If it's someone like Rasul Douglas, who I think could be a long-term starter, I might be willing to go as high as a fourth-round pick. But beyond that, and I'm sure this is where Joe Douglas falls as well, I think that they're probably better off just scouring the waiver wire if they can't get somebody along those lines for something close to the price that I just mentioned.
1: Yeah, I'm with you because I, I think the best option and what they're most likely gonna do is gonna be going along the waiver wire. I'd be willing uh to trade a, a late round conditional pick, you know, even up to a possible conditional third round pick for certain players. Um but I don't I don't know that any of those guys are even available or gonna shake free. Obviously I'd be willing to give up more for Jalen Ramsey, but like you just said, that's going to be a pipe dream and they're not going to give up enough to get him. But, you know, would I give up a second for one of the Vikings cornerbacks if they decide to shake them free? Uh, Yeah, I would, I would do that. Absolutely. I think it would probably end up costing a little bit more. So I think that seems unrealistic. Basically what I'm saying is any name that I'm going to throw out here that you're going to know and be excited about, I don't think the Jets will be paying enough to get them for. So I think that that's why I keep saying, I think we're going to just have to wait and fall back and see what happens with the roster cuts. And that's where he's going to have to do most of his damage. The names that I could give you that, that'll excite you. I don't think the Jets will be able to give, will, will be willing to give up enough to get them.
2: Which is what I said about Quincy Wilson, who is somebody that I was asked a lot about. And I did ask George Bremer about Quincy Wilson. And his answer was basically exactly what you just said, Chris. He doesn't think Quincy Wilson would be available, but if he is, he doesn't see the Jets being willing to meet the likely high asking price that the Colts would have for his services.
1: Yeah, it's it's just, you know, again, you want a good player. I get that. Teams aren't in the habit of just giving away good players. Um, cornerback is a position of need for almost every team in the NFL, with the way that pa- passing offenses have taken over and how good they are. Team, it's, it's cornerback is very much like offensive line right now. There's not enough quality guys, so just team teams all want to add depth to the cornerback group more than to let that depth go. So the guys that you're really going to want are going to cost a lot.
2: Corners and offensive linemen are sort of like pitchers in baseball in the sense that you can never have enough good ones. So the teams that do have a bunch of good ones usually want something pretty hefty in return if they're going to part with one of them. So we'll see how this shakes out. But I have a feeling it's going to be, at most, a low-key trade, perhaps for a guy like Nate Hairston. Strangely, along the lines of what Mike McCagnin did when he went out and got Rashard Robinson a couple of years yeah. ago, which I still defend. Everybody gets all upset about that. Look, Rashard Robinson had been a starter with the 49ers, fell out of favor, but the talent there was undeniable. You'd seen the flashes. So for fifth-round pick, I don't think it was out of line to take that type of risk, and especially it wouldn't be now considering the situation the Jets are in. I would prefer... To give up a 6th or 7th round pick instead. But I wouldn't go crazy if it ended up being a 5th round pick. If it was a guy that Joe Douglas and Greg Williams felt could help this defense.
3: Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitch. Feature, tune in or wherever you get your podcast. play like a jet play like a jet with your host Scott Mason
2: Next question comes in from Ian Bartholomew. He actually has two questions He says I was wondering how important location is for street free agents It seems the Jets are regularly connected to or sign guys with a New York New Jersey connection Is that my selective memory, or is it a real phenomenon? Second question, there are certain players that show up in multiple years without making the team. I'm thinking specifically of Bertalette at the moment. I presume it's not a coincidence that he was in camp last year and again now, but the front office has completely turned over, so what's the link? The link to Bertalette would obviously be the only coach that the Jets retained, which is the special teams coach, Brant Boyer, so I think that's what it is. He saw something he liked last year. In fact, Chris, I believe after practice he hinted at the fact that he wanted Taylor Bertolette to be the kicker last year over Jason Myers so we almost didn't get that great season from Jason Myers last year and that would be the connection I do remember them doing this with Ross Martin obviously a couple of times they brought him back there are a few others I'd have to rack my brain for that as far as the New York New Jersey connection That may just be a matter of these guys wanting to stick with local teams. They've got family in the area, so they figure if they're not in super high demand and they're weighing offers from a couple of teams and they're not exactly high-dollar offers, they may as well go with the team that's in the area where their family is. So that's just a guess on my part, though, and I'd have to go through and look to see if this is actually true because, like you said, Ian, sometimes our mind plays tricks on us.
1: Yeah, so it's obvious. Obviously, some players do prefer to play closer to home, but I always, I think we always read way too much into that with people because some people like that. Some people want to get as far away from home as possible. So we always go and try to make some connection, like, I, you know, as happens a lot in basketball. And Kemba Walker was a free agent this year, and everybody thought, ooh, Knicks are, Knicks are Nets. He's from the Bronx. He wants to come back to New York. Apparently, Kemba Walker wanted nothing to do with being back in New York. So some people want to remain close to home. Some people want to go far as far away as possible or just anywhere else. One thing I'll say is I think if you're noticing that trend, a lot of times where you're probably noticing that more is in the first couple of weeks of preseason or when they have to bring a guy in in the middle of training camp because somebody got hurt then they typically look for somebody that's in that that situation. They're really just a camp body. They know that they're really just a camp body, even though they're going to try to come out and impress and see if they can sneakily win a job. They know what it is. They know that they're camp body. They were close by. They could get here quick. If the the player is actually sitting there and weighing out offers from multiple teams – I don't think most of these young guys because remember we're talking about young guys right here if I don't think most of these young guys, especially the guys who haven't made money yet are going to be turning down less money and a better opportunity just to stay home. So that's going to look into it as well or work into it as well you got to factor in or are you going to go you know if you're an offensive lineman looking to get a, uh, a make a roster right now, and the Eagles have an injury and call you up and and say, hey, we'd like to bring you in for training camp. Well, you're probably not going to really want that if you have another option. The Eagles have an incredibly great offensive line as is and are really deep on the offensive line. So your chances of making that roster are going to be slimmer than any other roster. So you have to weigh all that stuff in. But again, when, when you have the 90-man rosters to open up training camp, that's, when you get filled out with a lot of local guys there, too. That's when you get, you know, the Hofstra guys or the guys who play who played high school in New Jersey, New York. That's that's where you get that, and you see that all around the league. Once you get closer and closer to the roster being finalized, that starts happening a little bit less,
3: though. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a sixty-game sprint
2: Next question comes in from Paul Estin, a.k.a. Boy Green. He says, what jersey number will Megatron wear when he comes out of retirement to play with the Jets? Also, if you could bring a player out of retirement a la Joe Douglas, who would it be and why? So this is referencing an article that Paul wrote that I was giving him a hard time about where he suggested that Joe Douglas and the Jets should try to talk Megatron, Calvin Johnson, out of retirement I gave him a hard time because Calvin Johnson hasn't played in three years. He's 33 years old. He has more money than anybody could ever spend. He's talked many times about the fact that his body is in chronic pain all the time, and that's a big part of why he retired. And even if he wanted to come back to quote-unquote chase a ring, going to the Jets makes zero sense because they are not a Super Bowl contender. So nothing about that idea made any sense. I love you, Paul, but it was absolutely ridiculous. So the number he's going to be wearing for the Jets is he's not going to be wearing a number. As far as talking players out of retirement, I'm going to go with Jim Brown because I feel like he could still probably play. And it's just as plausible as getting Calvin Johnson to come out of retirement.
1: Yeah, yeah, you threw a bunch of cold water on that idea. Understandably so. I'm going to dump all all the cold water in the world on it because the Lions – he's still under uh the Lions still hold his rights right so if he wants to come back he he can't just sign with whoever he wants um so that that's not happening even if it would happen even if it's something he wanted to do which I agree with everything you said I can't see that happening so yeah I mean I so when we talk about bringing a player out of retirement and like They're they're playing in still in their prime or just like someone who's still ready to play right now.
2: I think he means if you could take any player right now who is retired at any point, who would it be?
1: Oh, yikes.
2: I mean, my thought on this, Chris, is basically if the guy retired, he retired for a reason. If you're talking about something like Barry Sanders years ago where he retired out of frustration, that would have been an obvious answer. Right. But I'm struggling to come up with anybody who would have done that recently that I feel like could make a real impact at this point. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, well, I'm, I was thinking, you know, my brain went to Mangold and DeBrickershaw Ferguson, but I'm watching DeBrickershaw out at practice. He's way too skinny to be playing anyway. Um, but, yeah – Man, once you retire from football, this is why, and I know I I took some heat from my Ryan Khalil take that day. Once you get your mind set on being retired, it's really hard to come back to play at an elite level. Now, he only had his mind set on that for, like, you know, a couple weeks or months, so that that was obviously different. But if we're talking about somebody who has been retired, I, I don't see anybody out there. I mean, you know, sure, I, I signed me up for Prime Revis, but we saw how that ended. And so, you know, what? No, I'm not doing that again. Um, I can't think of anybody who's retired right now that I would say, "Yeah, go ahead, sign, sign me up, and bring him back."
2: I'm sticking with Jim Brown.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's as good as that's as good as you're going to get, uh, honestly. Like, or Herschel Walker.
2: That was another one I was thinking of.
1: Yeah, that just, I, I, I just clicked in my head because, I mean, he's in as good a shape as ever. So, I mean, it'd still be ridiculous because I can't imagine how fast he is at this age. But, hey, let's go with it. Herschel Walker.
2: I like it. Jim Brown and Herschel Walker were actually the two that I was thinking of. So I'm glad that we got them both out there. Next question comes in from my man, Kevin Jackson, a.k.a. Spotty Blackman. He says, two-part question, fellas. What is the least Douglas could do to possibly satisfy Jets fans going into the season via trade or waiver wire? Really, there is nothing he can do because Jets fans have insane expectations. I think other than Jalen Ramsey or Jimmy Smith, everybody is going to be really upset about the cornerback position. There's nothing he can do about that. Trading for somebody like Nate Hairston or even somebody like Rasul Douglas, who I really like, is not going to do enough for the majority of the fan base because, as I said, they tend to be a little unrealistic. Which leads to Kevin's next part of the question, which is, why are we really freaking out with unrealistic expectations for this team when we know where this roster was going into last offseason? Kevin, I really don't know what to tell you, man, other than this. I've been saying for the longest time ever since the Jets went out and signed Le'Veon Bell and signed C.J. Mosley and were able to get Quinn and Williams in the draft and so on and so forth. That the goal had to be to get a handful of blue-chip players to start really building up this roster, maybe be in contention for a playoff spot if things all go well, and then next year would be the year that you really make your run. You add even more pieces in the draft and free agency and you start to really chip away and maybe be able to do something similar to what the Rams did last year. And I don't even necessarily mean the Super Bowl. I just mean getting to the second round of the playoffs or even the AFC Championship along the lines of what they did in 2009-2010. But yeah, I think that anything beyond playoff contention late in the season is shooting a little bit too much for the moon at this point.
1: Yeah, the easy expo- easiest answer here is we're getting closer to the season. Um, this is just how fandom works. You come off a bad season. Everyone's complaining about how terrible the team is. The off season comes around. You still know this team is terrible. Oh, look, we got some shiny new pieces. I feel a little bit better. But, hey, this season's still pretty terrible. Then training camp starts. You get closer to the season. Oh, Darnold's looking really sharp, huh? Oh, Blake Cashman, hey, he's coming. Oh, he might actually be a player. You start hearing these positive things. You're getting close to the season. So you start talking yourself more and more into things. And so the positivity builds, and it builds more and more and more because you want to have high hopes for the season. So that's just typically how this works. And then it's exacerbated even more on Twitter. That's just how Twitter works. Twitter brings out the extremes even more. So I think you're just seeing that more as we approach the season. Once the season starts, you know, they lose a game or two and everyone's going to be talking about how terrible this team is and they're going 0-16 and everybody should be fired.
3: Play like a jet. Play like a jet. With your
1: host, Scott Mason.
2: Next question comes in from Ben Marsh. He says, can Joe Douglas answer the riddle of the cornerback? Yes, but probably not this year. It's probably going to be either in the draft or free agency next year.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. It, it's definitely possible that he will. Um, it's possible he will this year. It's going to be with somebody that I can't think of, maybe that I don't even know. You know, somebody you've been talk you talk about, Nick Harrison, I don't know too much about him. But there's plenty of players on all these other teams out there, and some of them I don't know. So maybe – Joe Douglas has uh, identified one of those players and could bring him in, and it would be a pleasant surprise for uh, for all Jets fans. But the more realistic thing is a little bit of help once training camp cut, cuts come and then look through free agency in the draft to really improve that next year.
2: Next question comes in from the Jet Ranger. He says, Question for the very big deal, Chris Nimbley, what are the biggest differences you've seen from last year to this year in Darnold's game while observing him on a daily basis at training camp?
1: Yeah, number one, first and foremost, he's just way more comfortable. You can tell, and it's not that he was uncomfortable or looked out of sorts or out of place last year. I remember thinking that he seemed remarkably comfortable for a rookie, and he seemed remarkably poised for a rookie. But this year, he's just so much more comfortable. Everything is running so so much more smoothly. He doesn't have as many questions and concerns. There's so much less hesitation. And just the way he talks, even the way he talks to us in the media, again, he was great from the start, but there's less hesitation now. He's just – more comfortable, and it's just all natural for him. And players always talk about the game slowing down, but everything slowed down. Life seems to have slowed down more. Talking to the media slowed down more. You can see that translate to him being more confident out there. His voice is getting louder on the field. He's getting a little more pointing uh, emphatically a a little bit more. His arms seem to have gotten a little bit stronger. He has some more velocity there, a little bit better footwork. And uh, he's tightened up his throwing motion a little bit as well. So all those things are going to help him. But he has made uh, minor physical improvements in his game. But the biggest thing, the biggest thing that jumps out – is the mental aspect of it. He just seems so much more in control and in command of everything. And you can kind of see it. Last year, the other players would see the potential in him, and they'd be like, yeah, this kid, this kid's going to be really good one day. And this year, they're, they're, it's more like, hey, this kid's pretty good right now.
2: Next question comes in from Michael Palace. He says, Would you consider extending Sam Darnold early if he has a great season this year? If the answer is yes, what would constitute a good enough season to warrant it? So I wouldn't do it after this year, but I would consider doing what Philly did with Carson Wentz and extending him after 2020 if I felt like he was on that right path, and I think he probably will be. After a second year is a little early unless he has a Patrick Mahomes-type season. I don't know that you need to rush into it right now, but I would certainly consider it after the third season.
1: Yeah, I've talked about this a lot and with uh, other players, how I'm a huge proponent of playing for playing payers as early, not not as early as possible, but definitely earlier rather than later. The money's always going to go up. You're always going to get somebody else who's going to sign, and then that's going to the next guy wants more than him. Um, so the money's always going to go up. So I'm a, a huge believer in paying those guys early. Having said that, after two seasons, that seems a little bit early. That's, that seems unnecessarily early. Um, after three seasons, like you just said, the Carson Wentz deal, I'm, I'm good with that, 100%. Go ahead and get that taken care of a year or two out. Because, again, you look at uh, – I, I heard this the other day that – The Eagles, part of the reason why they did that to sign Carson Wentz is they wanted to get that deal done before Dak Prescott and the Cowboys did because they knew that if Dak Prescott signs, then Carson Wentz wants more money than that. So they have to top that. Just like Dak is saying right now, give me more money than Carson Wentz. (laughs) That's how it works. So if you wait. That number's only going to keep going up, but after two seasons that's a bit much and then also you you open the door to you know players that you wouldn't be uh as likely to play trying to hold out and want contract uh changes and extensions two or three years out too um so that's that's a little too far for me uh if he has two really strong years though. continues looking like he's trending upwards then I'd go ahead and try to do that um but then again even doing that you have to look at the rest of the roster because you might want to keep him on that rookie deal if you feel like you're close enough to be in a Super Bowl team you might want to keep him on that rookie deal so you can go ahead and sign some other players to bring in to, to fill out the rest of the roster but Again, uh, next year would be too early. I'd consider it after his third year, though.
2: By the way, as it pertains to Dak Prescott, there's been a lot of debate on this. I'm a little higher on him than you are, Chris. But at the same time, this is how I look at it. Getting a guy like Dak Prescott in the fourth round the way that the Cowboys did is both a huge blessing and a huge curse. Because you get the blessing of having him for four years on a dirt-cheap contract, allowing you to build the rest of the roster around him. But then you get to the point where you have to either sign him and commit a ton of money because anytime you have a quarterback who's even a solid starter that can be a long-term solution... You now have to pay him more than pretty much everybody else because, as you said, that's how it works with quarterbacks. It's not who's best, it's who's next. And then if you don't sign him, you have to figure out a way to replace him, and we've seen this many, many times. Teams could struggle for years to replace even a solid starting quarterback. So that is a real tough situation for the Cowboys when people ask, is Dak Prescott worth $30 million a year? He is and he isn't at the same time. In other words... Is he really worth $30 million a year when you consider how good he is relative to the rest of the quarterbacks in the league? No, but is he worth $30 million a year when you consider that the way that free agency works with quarterbacks is that whoever the next guy up is gets paid more than the guys before him? Yeah. So as I said, this is a problem that if you're a team like the Cowboys, you don't want to Because you want to have a quarterback like Carson Wentz that's shown that he's good enough that you are thrilled to pay him this money as opposed to being drag kicking and screaming. It's really a strange situation to be in because it just shows you that even though you can strike gold once in a while in the mid rounds, sometimes you got to pay the piper sooner than later. And it can be pretty painful when you do.
1: Well, yeah, you got you got to win that Super Bowl on that rookie contract. Because look at, look at the Seahawks and Russell Wilson. Obviously, Russell Wilson is a much better quarterback than Dak Prescott. I don't think there's going to be too many people out there who are going to argue that. But look at what happened to that team after they had to pay Russ. That entire defense is, is basically gone now. Like It's just Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright. They're the only guys left. They couldn't pay all those guys. They couldn't pay their, all the receivers. Uh, that they had and that they weren't top guys either uh, you know the, the top top guys so once you get on to that next contract it's going to change things and you know you get a year less of the rookie contract when you're talking about those later round guys but then you also got to factor in this is kind of like we talked about in the off season with Le'Veon Bell and when it comes to not paying running backs uh, I'm typically in favor of that but on Bell was worth more to the Jets than he would be to other teams because of the specific situation, needing playmakers, needing a second-year guy, uh, needing a safety valve, and somebody who could help out the second-year quarterback. Dak Prescott, you drop him on, you know, the Giants or some just bad team, and yeah, it's not going to be good. And that, and it's absolutely, he's absolutely not worth thirty million dollars for that team. But the way that the Cowboys are set up, the way that they are run their offense, where they lean so heavily on Ezekiel Elliott, where they just traded for Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott had really strong games with Amari Cooper, the way that is, it makes more sense for them to give him that money than for other teams to give him that money. So... Yeah, I, 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 I'm I in the camp of where I typically wouldn't pay them. Now, the Cowboys, I'd, my, I'd their specific situation, I'd be more willing to do it because of what I said and also because I, there's nobody inside that building I trust to be able to find somebody comparable. You know, this is my take with Jared Goff. Uh, I think that John McVay can find somebody else that he can go ahead and get similar production with. Jared Goff from I don't there's nobody in that building right now that I I will say that for with the Cowboys maybe Kellen Moore turns out to be the next hot offensive coordinator guy but I don't, I don't know that right now so they're they're probably forced to but again they they have to go ahead and pay Ezekiel Elliott they're gonna have to pay Amari Cooper whether they want to or not they have to pay Amari Cooper because they traded all those those draft picks for him um, but then you look at Dax, his his stats and his numbers when Ezekiel Elliott's not out there there's it's night and day it's a whole different world so um, it's a tr- real tricky spot for them but I think it's going to end up getting done but that is absolutely not the position you want to be in we saw this with the teams like the Bengals and I think Dash Prescott's better than Andy Dalton is and was at the time but he put up numbers because he was thrown to A.J. Green. If you watched him, you could tell that he wasn't that good a, a quarterback. And you pay him like a, a really good quarterback, he better be a really good quarterback. Otherwise, it's going to hurt your team very much. So I think the best thing for the Cowboys is to try to do something that pays him around what he wants, but at least be short-term, something they can get out of after two years or something like that.
2: The best way I could put this is market demand determines everything. And quite frankly, whether you want to believe it or not, if Dak Prescott became a free agent, he would have multiple teams interested and willing to pay him what he wants. Because even if he's only around the 16th best quarterback in the league, that is still a very difficult commodity to come by. And if you don't believe me, not one, but two separate teams gave Alex Smith big money. And speaking of big money, you can win big money yourself if you enter the Best Ball Championship at the Draft app and Draft.com. You go there right now. You participate in their very easy snake draft. You don't have to worry about anything complicated like salary caps or auctions. You make your draft picks, and then your roster is all set for the year. You don't even have to do roster management because they will make sure that your best players are in every single week. And to sweeten the pot for you, You get a shot at the Best Ball Championship and $3.5 million for free if you use the promo code I'm about to give you when you make your first deposit over at Draft.com and the Draft app. You ready? Play like. That's play like. You use that code over at the Draft app and Draft.com and you can get a crack at that $3.5 million for free. But you're going to be playing against me. So obviously, I'm rooting for myself. But if I can't win, hopefully you do. That's going to wrap up part one of the weekend mailbag. We will be back tomorrow to answer more questions in part two. In the meantime, make sure that you're following the very big deal Chris Nimbley over on Twitter at CNimbley and at Jets Insider. Follow his deputy editor, Alan Schechter, at Alan underscore S-C-H-E-C-H-T-E-R. Read Chris's very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and Turn on the Jets dot com.